0: And welcome to Season 2 of Stalwarts of Music. I'm delighted to invite you all for this very special episode. Today's episode is being partnered by Perpetual Buzz Experiences, which is an artist representation company with three very basic but lofty goals. They are the launchpad for a lot of indie musicians, helping them leverage success in the best possible manner. And they also help generate funding for social causes and make sure that people have a great time throughout the process. Do check them out on www.perpetualbus.com. We have yet another podcast partner, which is Wire Up Music Store, one of the finest music retail stores with state of art equipment, your one stop solution for the best musical gear. They have instruments ranging from guitars to ukulele, percussive to classical instruments. Do check out their Instagram page, which goes by the handle at the rate wireup.india. Speaking of my first guest today, he's a guitar player, songwriter, and a prolific singer. As a solo artist, he has a catalog of over 22 albums. He was a member of the glam metal band Poison, and he's played with the legendary Mr. Big and was involved in a jazz fusion project called Virtu along with the one and only Stanley Clark. I'm talking about none other than Richie Codzin who currently plays for the Winery Dogs. This episode is truly special as it also commemorates the release of the Winery Dogs album, The Roman Letter 3, in the next three days and guess what? It's Richie's birthday on the 3rd of February. So be sure to check out the all-new Winery Dogs album, 3, on the 3rd of February. I have yet another special guest. I couldn't think of a better name than Mr. Tony J. Das, who is a guitar player for Thermal in the Quarter, People Tree, and has contributed a lot to the world of music over the years. Not only as a performer, but he's also an excellent music educator. Without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Richie Codzin and special guest, Tony Das, who will be joining us for a very special segment of the interview. Hi, Richie. How are you? Namaste. And which part of the world are you in right now?
1: Good. And I am in Southern California.
0: Wonderful. And... Uh, I'm guessing you are prepping up for uh, some intense rehearsals. Uh, you're going to be starting with your world tour very soon, I presume.
2: Absolutely, the Winery Dogs. We are release of our third album that's coming out on February third. Mm-hmm. Starting our tour on the East Coast in the United States and uh, got to all around the, the country and. We're going to go to South America and Europe, I believe Japan. So, we're going to go to as many places as we can.
0: Are you coming to India, though? Uh,
2: not yet. We don't have anything booked. I would love to return. Uh, must have been 2016 for what you guys call the Orange Fest. Correct. And that was just really a, a great experience. And so, I. I Um, we're we're putting everything together. So we'll see.
0: Wonderful. wonderful. I presume you're a very happy man now that you've announced uh, the all-new Winery Dogs album with the Roman Letter 3. And in the next three days, it's also going to be your birthday, right? So how are you planning to celebrate this particular release?
1: Uh, You know, I'm doing anything for my
2: birthday. uh, When I turned 50, uh my wife's incredible surprise party
3: uh-huh.
2: and uh it was just amazing and I'm not really thinking about
1: it uh probably
2: go to with a small group of people and and just kind of hang out um i'm don't expect much, so we'll see <laughs>
0: <laughs> looking forward to it looking really looking forward to especially the album release. So I'd like to take a step back, go back in time, and ask you this particular question. So, what was your earliest creative revelation?
1: Well, um, and I was one of those kids
2: that would like to. So, anytime there would be a get together, there was in our house. There was a rumination room. Creation room and it had two levels. Okay? Uh-huh. On one level, uh, a, a pool table and some other gaming-type items. And then, you know, the, the sofa and the television and the fireplace and all that stuff. What would happen if the family would have a get together. I'd end up jumping up on the higher level, pretending I was on a, on a show of some sort. hmm and someone had said, Hey, you know, uh adolescence." And so at the age of five, I adolescents didn't really take too well to it. And then a few years later I saw a poster of Kiss. Oh wow. And I they were holding what I and uh I said, that's what I wanna do. And so we we got and I started taking lessons, and then the rest uh, kind of took its course.
1: Lovely.
0: I had the privilege to listen to the new album, uh, which was sent to me by your management. Very classy, I must say. Yeah. And old school. Uh, I did it in a very old-fashioned way. Li- uh, had a listening session with my father, in the listening room. Uh, we put it, uh, plugged it on to our audio system, and it was one hell of an experience listening to the new album. If I'm not mistaken, this album was mixed by Jay Rustin.
2: Jay Rustin, that's correct. J- Jay Rustin, yeah.
0: He did. He did such an incredible job of capturing every tiny nuance of the plan. It really underscores the depth of the conversation. The trio which has been together for for over a decade now. So can we talk about what makes this trio very special for someone like you?
1: Well, that's a job kind of pulling
2: the pieces together for us. And it's always tricky, you know, you recommend, you know, you hand it off to someone to mix it and uh, you never know how it's going to go, but I think it's fantastic. And um, we love working with him. Uh, mm-hmm. as far as your question, the band unique is the, the individual components, you know, that would be Billy C and Mike Fort. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, I don't work without any of us, like meaning if one guy left, that, that would be the end of, as to the kind of group where you'd replace a guy. I, I think it's, you know, it's unique to the three of us. doing it, or we don't do it. And so that really is what makes, um, you know, it's how we play together, how we interact, um, how we approach. And, uh, you know, I don't think you can have a more organic, I hate using the word word to use, uh, situation to the degree that, you know, we're not bulls, we're not, you know, auto-tuning, we're not. There's no real technology, just kind of three guys playing together, and this is what we sound like
0: and i'm sure I'm sure you've built uh, some great chemistry as a group together, right uh, not just as a band, not just in a professional sense, but of course the- prof- uh, the personal relation also must be pretty tight among the three of three of you all. yeah,
2: part of the camaraderie
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, is part of, you know, how the band is and you know, if you think back when the first album everything was new, uh-huh. learning the parameters, you know, of where we can exist together and, and as individuals. And I think after that first album cycle, we gained a, a certain level of musical trust. And right. <clears throat> from there you know um foundation
0: marvelous uh, let's talk about the performance aspect of things you have displayed great showmanship as a guitar player there was a time where you had a fair share of stage antiques right you you've tossed the guitar spun it played it behind you behind your head right so do you feel that the purpose of your music is primarily to make people happy. Would it be appropriate to describe it that way?
1: Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, you you know, look, if an artist didn't really care about how people, they would never release it publicly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cared about fulfilling their personal desires and you would never hear them.
2: They would just sit somewhere and every now and then I would go and listen and, uh, or not, maybe never listen to it. But, you know, the
1: minute you, your work publicly, uh, you're confirming that you want something, you know, uh, otherwise, why would you, uh,
2: I think it's a connection. It's a human connection. My there's with the winery dogs are alone. Uh, I tend to write lyrics that are conversation. And so, uh, you know, I guess in a way, I'm trying now, whether that's connect in a way that's happy, or you know sharing misery <laughs> <laughs> uh, or whatever it is that that's a song by song issue but um ultimately to answer your question I think the I connect with people on a deeper level you know beyond just hey how are you for that I mean I find myself in positions where a person will song you know you can't save me, got me through a very difficult time. Thank you for that. This other song, you know, we used it uh, at our wedding, you know, those sorts of things, you know, makes me feel good about what I'm doing. So I, I think that's, you know, the other side of the coin. What makes those responses happen are the fact that it's something that has truth to it. I'm making music that is. True feel at that time that mm-hmm. I wrote and recorded that song. so there's a a, a true, uh, as opposed to just you know writing something for the sake of a random run sure. what I'm after. but I think that answers your question hopefully. certainly, certainly, certainly does. If
0: I were to pick up a musical form such as rock music, for instance, it is very close to the rhythms of people, the ideas of people. The, it, it sort of gives them like an, a whole identity, right? Uh, if, if someone were to, associate, to be associated with a musical form like rock. It represents so many different facets of human personality, that of social interactions. Even the sounds have reflections in the local ambience and in an old school tradition. So with globalization, with merging of identities in the sense, what is the significance of rock music per se? And why is it important for a community to listen and appreciate this kind of music?
1: Well, I, I think, I don't know various communities to listen to whatever they
2: want to listen to. Right? I don't think any must Listen to a certain genre. I think people will listen things that appeal to them. Correct. So, what I like uh, about the
1: kind of music that
2: I obviously rock—it's um, a
1: broad scope. A rock.
2: Um, there's rock that is very heavy and aggressive, soft and mellow. There's rock that has more of a funk and soul element to buy There's rock, and then there's you know rock that's just you know blaring guitars and straight ahead drum beats. I mean,
1: it's such a broad genre. So uh, to kind of condense uh, your question, and
2: it is is the fact that it's such a broad genre, and so. Can attract you know all sorts of different people, whereas a style of music like jazz, by way of example, is going to be more the group of people that are going to relate to um, to that music. The things about rock that's very special mm-hmm. is that it does many different cultures.
0: Marvelous. I really, I really like how you articulated, uh, you know, the whole concept in the form of uh, different branches. But again, like you know, conveyed the whole idea. Incredible. Cool. This might sound like Great. a very, very simplistic question, but uh, you have put out close to about twenty-two solo studio albums, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. I lost count, but yeah.
0: Right. So what was the secret and the motivation behind putting out such incredible music? It was being received well, for sure, by so many in the world. Uh, People across the globe are listening to it till till day, and they, they do not get tired of it. And they respond to it because they see passion, they see integrity, and I think there's a great deal of conviction, not just of you as a musician, but you know the life that you live, right? So what is the secret behind putting out such incredible music which is also received well?
1: Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, all I can really do, all
2: any artist can really do is uh, write and be true to themselves. And, you know, when I write a song, it's my perspective on something. And uh, where it comes to I, I... started writing my own songs when I was, you know, in my early child. I can remember being a little boy uh, wanting to write a song, banging away on the guitar, but I didn't know how to put the words together because I didn't have the life experience that I needed. Um, And then after a while, you know, things started happening, found things to write about, and I developed a perspective. On situations, ability to write songs, uh, but you know, I don't think I can sit around uh, try to predict or uh, anticipate what somebody else might. I don't see how I could possibly do that, and um, um, I'm sure there are people that are, do it quite well, but I, I've never been that kind of a, a, a kind of write what I write. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I really like something, and if I really, really like it, I'll share it in the form of a, and from there, whatever happens, it really is, look at it, it's out of my hands. I, I can't, um, I can't, you know, direct how someone else is going to respond. Somebody might hear something. They might love it and connect. Another person might think, I never want to hear that again as long as I live. A certain element of, you know, once it's written and
1: released, it's, you know, I kind of have to remove myself a little bit from what if this, what if that. I think that could be a very detrimental way of thinking if I... Got it how does
0: how does spirituality inform what you do as a musician
1: i'm not really sure um you know uh
2: i don't really know where any of this really comes from and i don't really try i don't investigate okay or um necessarily see behind the curtain okay so um something, I just act on it. And I've been doing that for so long that it's just, I think it's instinct. Um, I know there's a lot of people that can kind of put things into some sort of spiritual realm and, and talk about things in a way that are, I don't know, abstract and, and enchanting, but. For me, I just kind of do what it is that I do. It just happens. I don't know why it happens. <laughs> um, it could be, uh, but I haven't seen any spirits in the studio with me, <laughs> so it is just my nature.
0: Sure. would it would it be right to say that you're naturally gifted?
1: No, I w- I would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: No, it does something, you know, and and, and for me, like uh, you know, I'm a basketball player, but I'm I'm not fast enough, and I'm not skilled enough, so I don't. I didn't do the work. Um, I just think it's what I do. I I think it's uh people's personalities that drive them to become something, and so I can only trace the reality of my progression from the past until now and we loved music. I loved dancing. I loved singing. I loved and it, it I pursued it. Okay. I thought to myself, well, I like singing under records by way of example. So mm-hmm. now I want to learn an instrument so I can learn songs. So I learned superstition. <laughs> and then I thought, well I wanted to sing and dance, and I figured I had to write songs. And then, yeah. you know, I got around other people that were more than I was, and I learned from them. And I thought, this is really cool. If I continue further up the ladder in the video game, uh, I can kind of... And, and so
1: I just, I think, focus, you know. Um, I... Call themselves gifted i think that's very uh
2: i don't know i just don't have a verbiage but um i think that uh i am what i am and i i i i am my music that's 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 what i am the songs that i create and creator but you're interested enough to have the conversation with me and you're asking these questions like uh I don't. I don't know. I don't think there's much more I can say about it.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, one thing that both of us share in common is uh, uh, I love Philly soul music too. Uh, I've been a huge. Oh great! I've been a huge Hall and Oates fan, and I loved your rendition of Sarah's Smile. There's there's a video that I stumbled upon on the internet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Um, well. Barrow Hall is a nation for me, and
2: um, actually, uh, he was moved on by the time of a teenager, but he lived eight miles down the road from wow. where I grew up. We're very close regionally, and so as a young boy, I remember,
1: uh,
2: school, it was right before the first grade, whatever mm-hmm. they call and my friend and I we were singing the song rich girl <laughs> and we were saying it had the word bitch in it and so we thought we were kind of getting away with saying a bit but i i love uh their music all the notes and, and daryl's one of my favorite. you know yeah i i love the that whole philadelphia sound as well and i heard it a lot is on philadelphia radio
1: okay well.
0: You've, you've definitely been an innovator. You don so many different hats uh, as, you know, an artist in, in terms of creativity. You're, you're an incredible singer and uh, you are also an incredible songwriter and, of course, uh, a guitar player too. So I'm interested in knowing, are you still in search of certain modern guitar techniques?
2: Not like I was when I was a young man. Um, you know, I went through a phase okay. in my teens where I became very, and that's when I was signed to uh, shrapnel Records, and i had to really get into, you know, the instrument and uh, technique. For a while, it became a bit, you know. Disenchanted with studying theory. Okay, now I want to try to create something with the knowledge that I have. Through mm-hmm. that new creativity, I would gain new knowledge and still evolve in a different way. My focus into, uh, you know, my singing voice, my songwriting, and, and so I started to evolve in a different way. At this time, I don't really think about you know a new
1: technique uh,
2: set in my structure okay. of how I play to me. Um, but uh, you know, that's not to say something new doesn't happen. I mean, you know, with others, you find yourself in a situation where, okay, in the winery dogs, Billy walks in that is stylized to his technique. So, the only way to really play that, that piece of his technique, and it's happened, you know, and, and we've made it the other way around as well, where I would come in with a lick and he would say, Okay, that is specific. We're going to have to take a minute to figure this out. And then we'd figure it out. And that's how some of these cool songs, like that was his riff, he brought that in. It's very stylized, something that he would suddenly just by playing. Working with him, I'm learning a new approach, a new technique. It still happens. It's yeah. just not that I. It's not my first priority when I pick up the guitar. Okay, what can I practice?
1: Yeah. I pick pick up and and just kind of play and see. Hey, what might that would lead me to a new song?
0: Right, makes sense. I mean, it's it's a very direct approach as to your end goal for sure. Uh, your wife is an incredible singer and a bass player, from what I've seen. Could you tell us how the two of you all work together in artistic capacity?
1: Sure. Well, uh, Julia Elaji, that's
2: L-A-G-E, mm-hmm. uh, and she is a fantastic musician. She's a great singer. Also, she's really a great songwriter. Okay. Excuse me, and um, uh, actually working on on some new music as, as we do this interview, but we're in uh, a few different uh,
1: situations. Uh, the first time together, and okay. I had booked a an acoustic
2: that was really designed, kind of to be like a vacation for me. You know, I went over there with the bat, a promoter that was kind enough to gather certain uh, stuff thought, you know why don't you come with me meeting julia and and we can play together and so, uh, together of some of my material and and it was fun. We spent a month. two of us got up in states. when we were in one of the cities, a friend of mine lived there who played drums. It was really an adventure and a lot of fun and great experience and then more recently i put out an album with adrian smith from iron maiden mm-hmm. we put together our live group and decided to have julia be the bassist lovely and she just nailed the gig uh uh-huh. played the song i made the joke So wow she's playing the songs better than i them. you know so <laughs> Very uh, cute. She it to another level, and, and the showmanship that what what she brings to the stage seemed to have a great player. But then you have someone that has great stage presence, and so you know she, she can sing, and she can pretty much sing anything you throw at her. So uh, we were going to have her on bass. We brought in Bruno Valverde played drums. Oh wow, Julius. Julie from Brazil. Uh-huh. And it was just a killer, killer rhythm. So Adrian and, I, Adrian and I are in the process of writing some new music and we want to get Julie to play on the album. So <clears throat> things are going really well in that, in that front. But, yeah.
0: Really looking forward to that. We could have like an exclusive Indian premiere of Sats for the new release. Yeah, That'll be, it'll be incredible. To. I I'd love that. Uh, That'd be great. I'd like to make this conversation a little more interesting by introducing a very special guest, uh, Mr. Tony Das, who is a music educator, guitar player, composer, and uh, I couldn't think of a better name, because for the simple reason being, he does a lot of renditions of your music, and uh, he also says he's a huge fan, so let's find out more from him.
1: Hi, right. hi Tony. There know. he is. Meet uh, Richie. Hey, Richie. Oh man. <laughs> How you
4: doing? I'm good. It's so crazy to be able to say hi to you like in person. I'm such a big fan.
1: Well, I appreciate
2: that. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you.
4: It's yeah. It's it's great to meet you. And just as a, a, a small aside, a, a testament to my my fandom. <laughs> so
2: this telecaster that looks good.:
4: it's uh so it's kind of uh you know back back when I got this guitar, this was like um 17 years ago, and uh, I was a broke kid, and i couldn't uh, I couldn't really afford to get the uh, the signature that you had. I think it was out in Japan, and it was such a beautiful guitar. I was so so taken with your playing that there was a, uh, a good friend of mine who, um, who's a luthier in, in South India. And so I kind of, I specked out your guitar. It's got the, the twanking and the, the chopper tea and... Ah, uh... Uh,
3: cool.
2: It's <laughs> so, yeah. a nice looking neck from what I can see. Oh, maple a maple neck.
4: No, it's, uh, it's this thing called um, sat- satin wood. He uses woods that grow. Uh,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: I, I thought it was maple, but then uh, now that you bring it closer, I can see the darker color. But it's not rosewood.
4: No, it's not. It's kind of it's kind of in between a maple and rosewood kind of uh, look. But it grows locally where um where my friend lives, and he uses local woods. He finds that they. That's uh, pretty.
1: Yeah. That's
2: cool. I'll try
4: and play that when
1: I
2: come over there.
4: Oh, oh man, I would die, <laughs> and you know that almost would have happened. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just going on a bit, but uh, I almost got to uh, to meet you when uh, a band that I play with played at this uh, the Orange Festival that that you also played at a couple of years ago. Yeah. But I was booked for something else. Yeah, I
2: remember. Yeah,
4: yeah, I was booked for something else, and I didn't even get
1: to come over.
2: And that was an incredible experience. Um, for those watching that don't know, the Orange Festival, it's a really great festival in India. What's
1: the name of the town? Am I, how do you say that?
4: It's called Dambuk.
1: didn't hear your microphone. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, I saw your mouth move, but I
2: didn't hear you. Now I heard you. It's really a wonderful experience and an awesome audience and uh, fun. I'd like to do that again someday. but. Um, yeah, I'm sorry
4: we didn't meet. Not as sorry as I am, but <laughs> at least we get to do this. And uh man, I'm just sorry, it's taken me a while. <laughs> but uh okay, let me get uh uh let me get started with some of the things that I've been meaning to ask you. Shall I go ahead, Aditya? Yeah, go for it.
3: Okay,
1: cool. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Okay. Um so um so I actually came to discover you through um, guitars that rule the world,
2: ninety one. Wow! Yeah, that's a long time ago.
4: <laughs> yeah. So I um, I happened upon the album much much later than that. I only started playing much after that. But um, you did a song called Chipe
3: Flux.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> dear.
1: Title is ridiculous because the title is an inside
2: joke between me and Jason Becker. But
4: <laughs> okay, that makes sense because I, I, you know, I couldn't figure out what it meant. But then I listened to the song and I kind of figured out why I couldn't figure out what it meant because I, it means nothing. It was supposed to be indecipherable, I think, because the song is completely inde. I mean, I don't know what you're doing, how you're getting those sounds. Could you could you talk a little bit about that? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I remember the
2: idea was to play the craziest, most impossible thing accurately so that you could chart it, you know, so that it's real, you know. Mm -hmm. But just try to go for the most wacky, difficult thing. And so that was the attitude with some of the guys on Strat. I was one of them. (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah. and that song i think that was probably one of the ever made that was deliberately that bizarre and (laughs)
1: and, um
2: i remember i was doubling a lot of stuff there was a lot of tremolo there and, and um and that was a compilation album for one of the guitar. I can't remember all the guys. I think Zach might have been on there back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was Paul I don't on there, but Paul was on there. But it, it was something that, you know, just kind of all the guys together and, you know, put us out there on, on a record. And uh, it was a small teenager when I did that. I mean, I was either 18 or 19 years old. That was really a large changed my my tune over the years i i don't know that i could even play
4: <laughs> yeah i no, but but uh so that's how you really came to my attention for the first time and you know back then um over here in india it was you know people were trading cassettes and stuff like that cds were still kind of expensive vinyls were were not really a thing so uh yeah so there's you there's paul gilbert there was another favorite of uh-huh. mine Nuno Bettencourt, there's Alex Skolnick, or just a whole bunch of guys. But um, yeah, yeah that, was, that one really, yeah. really turned my ear. And I was like, whoa, who is this guy? Because I, I hadn't heard of you before that. Um, and then, you know, shortly after that, I came to uh, um, take a trip to Malaysia. And I found a, a DVD um, in a shop of, uh, I think, The Farewell Tour with Mr. Big and i was like oh hey uh-huh. here's, here's this guy wow.
2: that's many 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 years later.
4: yeah yeah and i was like hey here's this guy who i thought is crazy what is he doing with mr big is he going to be playing all this crazy stuff and then uh and then i listened to it and it was like you know it was it was not crazy in the sense that you were trying to make everyone you're trying to establish your supremacy over everyone else but you know you fit that band so well and uh, you know, you just played your own style. You made your style fit within the style of the song. I mean, it was it was a real eye opener to watch. I was um, a big picker before that. I was a big um, Steve Morse fan, and and that kind of approach. You know, Donald yeah, me Trump too. Now Miola and that kind of thing. But after after watching you play on that DVD, I was like, hey, you know I I don't need to pick everything. I can do what what he's doing. And I can sound like a rock guitar player, and I was like, "Oh man, wow! This is like opened my eyes, it blew my mind, all of those things." Um, yeah. But yeah, so how did how did you get to that place? I mean, from from Reading, Pennsylvania, from what I understand, you know, there there wasn't a lot going on there at that time. So, what what kind of pushed you to achieve that level of of virtuosity by yourself? Was it like a friend circle or the local music circuit or
2: No, I can I can really lay it out. I mean, I remember back then when I was a teenager in my area, I was one of the guitar players that people would talk about. I was quite young, but I played like a guy that was, you know, a few years. And more importantly, back then I was more of a with the guitar than I even was a great guitar player. I think. You know, if you'd come to see me play, was like a spectacle. I mean, the guitar was in the air; it was behind <laughs> my back, spinning. Was really a bit of a spectacle. And then, um, you know, I got the band uh, made an EP, five songs, major record companies in New York, and the thing they those labels wanted more material. And I don't really for whatever reason we couldn't get it together to professionally to you know, get it up to the guys in New York that wanted to hear it. And I know some of the guys in the band that were really happy playing the local scene because they were making good money. So You know, the motivations were all different. And I remember as a 17-year-old, my motivation was to become national level. And so I, I saw this guitar player magazine called Spotlight for New Talent. And I was, okay, well, a lot of the guys that were featured in this column they twice a month. Some of these guys are making records. Some of these guys, I've heard, I thought, well, maybe if I could get my name in this column, uh, actually, and maybe even make a record with this record company that's making these guitar. Dr- so I quickly realized that a lot of the guys that were making these albums were level facility on the instrument so I shifted gears Richie the flamboyant showman to really honing in my I figured well what are the things that come natural for me on the instrument, easy for me to do because if I embrace those that's probably own sort of unique individuality if I sit here and I what these other guys are doing, I'm just gonna sound like a cheaper version of one of these. Let's see here. Well, this sort of thing comes natural, that sort of thing comes natural. And that's gonna be where I operate. So I started really developing that attitude unique be unique and focus on that. And so I started making demo recordings And I started sending them to the address that was in the magazine. Eventually, the magazine put me in one of the, it was Mike Barney's Spotlight for New Talent. He was the man behind all this. He approached me to make an album. And it was from there where I started my career on a national level. And that was that was the opening. You know, that was the door. Um, somewhere during that period, Guitar World magazine read cover story with me and Nuno Bettencourt and Red Beach. Um, the team recognized me, so I was in the top three on the readers' poll of best new talent. Nuno Bettencourt was number one. I was number two, and Stevie Salas was number three. And Thing for me, because I hadn't barely sold twenty thousand records, and I was in eyes that had platinum albums, so I knew something was going right, you know. And then, for that I, I didn't want to be making instrumental guitar music for very long, writing songs, and, and I, my second album was a vocal album, and I was singing. How everything started for me.
4: Oh, that's cool. So, so it, you're saying it was largely the uh, the the desire to break out of the the local circuit and go national that made you change from Richie the the showman to to Richie the the guitar virtuoso.
2: Yeah, I think I mean, if it came from Richie the showman to okay, let's let's take it serious in the music and and figure out exactly you know who you are. You know, music became who you are. Artistically, and then who you are as a writer, and this and that, snowballed and evolved into you know whatever it is.
4: Nice, and and where along that journey did did um, did the singing, the vocal chops, where did where did those come from? You know? I mean,
3: was it?
1: Well, I yeah, I remember back before Stratmore Records, I was in a band, and everybody
2: sang. Had a better voice than mine. Um, that not to say that I couldn't sing because everybody else sang so well. So, as a novelty, they would give me the microphones and one of the songs, I put the guitar down and I would front and be the lead singer. Best uh, Steven Tyler impression or whoever <laughs> it was that I was trying to emulate back. and and that's probably when I was 16 or 17 and then um, um, that album was made I was 18 when I made that and then when the record came out I started working on the vocal songs and it was to me you know you should sing your own songs you know take your voice more and sing your own songs so somewhere around you know, eighty eight, eighty nine the energy that I was putting into the guitar into my voice. And so I listened to R and B music, um, Slide in the Family Stone, Parliament, Focadelic, Prince. A singer in particular called Sam Moore that was sang with Sam and Dave. And he had the in the higher register. So I spent time trying to emulate Sam Moore, emulate early Rod Stewart uh, uh, every picture tells a story and the influence and uh, you know so those were the guys that you know kind of and then somewhere along the line we recorded the Fever Dream album I think that was, that was the first album where I was singing lead vocals kind of evolved from there and to me now to this today and you know even soon after back then i i stopped separating everything i in the singing and the songwriting and i looked at it as one thing and my attitude was if i'm going to do music i'm going to sing songs that i write and maybe a couple i'll play on the piano and that was my attitude all the way through and that's
1: what i'm doing
3: And how.
4: (laughs) Okay, sorry. I'm going to be jumping around a bit because I I don't think I have uh, a lot of time left. Uh, Aditya, are we okay for time?
2: Yeah, yeah. Please go for it.
1: Oh,
3: cool.
2: Uh, I've got literally 12 minutes. Stop at 11.30. Okay. Yeah.
3: Okay. Okay, cool. Um,
4: So um, there was a question I wanted to ask um, more recently, at least comparatively more recently about um you know your you're shifting from uh playing with the pick to playing with your fingers and i read i read an interview where you said you know you were just doing a gig one day and and your pick fell out and this guy kept trying to hand it back to you but you were trying to <laughs> you're trying to make it work with just the fingers
1: yeah um so
2: what really happened i mean i've always done else i can remember i would play with a pick and then use some other fingers to kind of pluck the strings. that for whatever reason, I don't don't even think it's something I picked up from anybody else. I think it's just something, but there would be instances where I would go to a jam session. I did a guitar player that carried picks with him for whatever reason, but like, you know, a guy, and I would watch him play prior to that. And like the pick would be in his mouth. Saying, eh, no thanks. I'll just <laughs> I'll go without. <laughs> so I uh, I down in South America in Brazil and I had done a show. I was my performance on that show. I didn't like anything that I played. And there's no way that I'm gonna get better by practicing in the hotel or two before I go to bed. What can I do? And I thought, well, why don't you take a gig without a guitar pick? See what happens. Which is a scary idea because I'm, asking, I'm doing sweet picking. and I'm doing all these things with the guitar pick. Get up there and I did it. And I did the show without a pick. And, you know, half of my repertoire. But what it did was it forced me to uh, approach differently. I actually had a great night. I really liked what I was doing. Uh, you know, reconnected to the instrument. And there was a manager there at the time with me, who by that show. And he said, you know, that was the best I've heard you. And you should do that again at Tar Pigs. You don't need them. And, you know, <laughs> just kind of talk. And I said, okay, well, I'll try it again tomorrow. And then I, then I, I did. The rest of the shows there was three or four left. And I thought little Light. If I can tour without guitar picks, that's one less thing for me to worry about. I I I went for it. And um, the reality of guitar picks uh, i constantly there's you know a bunch of them here on my desk. Now, if I'm recording something, I'll grab a pick to play a certain passage or not developed into this thing where when i play live i i just felt really awesome on the electric guitar if i play an acoustic passage you know i i still like you know guitar, so i'll use a guitar pick but it's
1: been really absent from my electric years
4: well but it's it's uh i think it's Whatever you're doing now, I mean, with the it's it's hard to tell sometimes because even like say uh, you know um you just put out um, Mad World a, a little while ago, and there's this descending pentatonic riff in the in the beginning where it's, you know it's these sextuplet kind of things. It's going dun, 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 and it it doesn't sound like you're using you. It sounds like the the full attack of a pick is being used on the string because there's that definition. Uh,
2: yeah, I know it's like unique. It might be a pick. I mean, I'm not going to play with a pick. It might be if it sounds like it, it probably is. <laughs> oh, okay. okay.
4: I, th- I thought you had
2: yeah. lived your. Um, but you know, some of the trill stuff that I'm doing is not a pick. You know, because I've developed this kind of, little kind of thing. So, um, it'll be interesting to see when we play some of this stuff live, because any of the stuff that actually was played with a pick on the album. It will not be played fun for, you know, for me to try and figure out how to do it.
4: <laughs> well, I'm sure you make it work. I mean, all, all of the live stuff that I watch of yours that, you know, that pops up on YouTube, it's, uh, you know, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, you can tell when you're doing some of the more expressive stuff or when it, when you're slowing it down, you can tell when you're digging in and you can hear the flesh a little bit more than, uh, you know, the sound of pick would make but for some of the for some of the faster passages and stuff it's like it's almost indistinguishable you know just i mean you have the attack and you're still doing the muting thing and you know it's all coming through so yeah it's just it's uh shocking
2: um, there's a bit of trickery uh in the muting that can make one of the things we were talking earlier about when i was very young developing you know, what comes next? is my left hand, you know, the, the, the you call it legato, I guess. And, uh, and with the hammer-ons and the pull-offs, you can do a lot with muting with your right hand, pluck on the finger style, and then certain, certain runs, if you mute them the right way, it
1: gives you, you know, a, a sound that almost sounds like alternate picking approach. yeah
4: that's true you you get some of the attack back when you mute it a little bit and and you're attacking it kind of heavy with the uh with yeah.
1: the lead.
4: okay okay I have to ask one gear question or a bunch of my friends are gonna kill me <laughs> um so um before you got the before you started uh with your signature cornford amp um again I'd kind of stalk you on youtube so I'd follow you around from you know gig to gig and see what what you were doing and you'd do these rig rundowns and stuff and uh, you know very often you were given a backline amp something like a uh, i think a couple of times you even said there was a fender twin um or something of the sort and you had a couple of drive pedals you had the uh, the sobat drive i think it was and uh, yeah. but how did you make it work like with a fender a fender twin for example i can I, like personally, I can never dial out the fizz and get it to where it's, it kind of feels like, you know, like a, a marshal that's being cranked or, or something of that. Or something. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's
1: you're, what's in front of the amp. You know, and so a lot of that drive, you know, when you twin, you have to look at the twin as more of a power amp.
2: If you're trying to and you get the overdrive out of, like, you know, uh, the, the right kind. Of, so, you know, not to push any of my products, but like the fly rig that we have developed at Tech 21. Um, if you take, which is a, a great invention that they that they have, that can color and that out, can actually create Drive the breakup. Then with the overdrive, it's in the fly rig. You hit that, that will get that kind of over the tire. So you can actually get a very powerful sound. Uh, if I don't have my signature model Victory uh, uh, amp, yeah. if I don't have that, I always pack 1959, which is the four input Plexiglass panel volume knob. And I plug into the, the um, normal input, right? And that is just like the greatest power amp for a guitar ever. Percussive, it has tons of headroom. If you hit it hard, it's hard, hard. If you hit it light, it's light bell chiming. It's beautiful. And so you can take the uh, sands and use that to get your grit and control the beast a little bit. Otherwise, you have to have, but you can control it a little bit on the front end with the way you're driving it, and then with the go. So, my rig now consists of the, the Victory RK100,
3: yeah,
2: very similar to the 1959 with a few uh upgrades. So, with that amp combined with my fly rig, I'm able to get that kind of sound where it's. You know, a, a lot of headroom, a lot of power, you know, not a lot of guitar
1: sound, little. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of my.
4: Okay, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for answering all my questions. I think we just have, have a little bit of time left. So I'll over to you, Aditya.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to take uh, too much of your time again. I have one last question before we conclude this wonderful session, which this is a question I ask in all of my interviews. Uh, So here's a question for you, Richie. Down in the distant horizon, what would you want to be remembered as?
1: Richie (laughs) That's, that's Talking
2: about something the other day, you know, it's like, I mean, it's very interesting. And, you know, if I look at what really concerned me most was being really with my musical creations, um, I'm really, I think,
1: if I look at albums like 50 for 50, uh, uh, Peace Sign, Go Faster, you know, I can look and think, I've really...
2: I've done it, you know. I've done, I've presented how I want it to be presented. I'm showing, like, okay, this is me, this is who I am, it's accurate. You know, because it's been made with my name on it that, you know, gotten twisted. I didn't really want it to go. And so, you know, over the course of time and getting control of art form, I've actually been able to put out music that's like a thousand percent what I heard in my head is coming out of the speaker. So I feel very, very fulfilled collaboratively, um, especially with this new Winery Dogs record. <laughs> you know, I really, I, there's nothing, there isn't a single note on that album that I would go back and sing. You know, I'm really happy with everything that we've, we've done. So that feel, wonderful feeling so that I, I don't, I don't ever go down the road of like this or that. It's like well i I'm going to be remembered by the people who are interested, first of all, those are the ones who are going to remember because nobody else gives a shit so uh and so on that regard, I've actually put it out there. It's there. Everything the that happens from here on is just a a wonderful journey, you know. And So I'm open to it and looking forward
0: to it. Uh, that was a beautiful closure for you know, uh, for the for one one final answer concluding this wonderful session. This interview will be additionally aired on Big FM Shillong and Azol, uh, two incredible radio stations, and it'll be out uh, on YouTube on my channel as an audio video format podcast, and on all major streaming platforms. And I'll be sure to share all of this with you once they're out. You can. Feel free to share it along with your friends, family, and a lot of other fans out there.
1: Oh, Graham! Today has been wonderful.
0: It's been an incredible blessing, privilege, and an honor to have you, Richie and Tony, on the show. Uh, I hope to I hope to stay in touch with the with the two of you, and would love to see you in India very soon, Richie. Lovely.
2: Cheers. Thank you both.